Hey everyone, here is Daniel Budai with another episode of our Ecom show and today I'm here with uh, Josh Dietrich who is the CEO of uh, BrandedSeller.com. Previously he sold two e-commerce businesses and uh, both of these businesses they were partly Amazon and also Shopify focused so he knows both uh, ecosystems and uh, today I want to ask a few questions from him about uh, how to sell an e-commerce store with a good multiplier, how to make it a good deal for both parties. This show is sponsored by Budai Media. Budai Media is a fully remote e-commerce focused retention marketing agency. In the last three years, Budai Media worked with more than 100 e-commerce clients and generated an eight-figure extra revenue for these clients. If you want to check out their website, go to thebudaimedia.com and just send an email or actually you can just drop a message to me on any of my social media channels if you are interested to work with us. Hey, Josh, how are you today? Daniel, doing well. How are you? Thanks for having me. It's exciting. Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks. And uh, before we jump into, you know, the technical things, please tell us about your story. How did you end up in the e-commerce world, in the digital marketing world? Yeah, the, the quick version would be that early on in my career, while I was in sales, I met a guy that was part of Amway. Are you familiar with Amway? I think that's the you know? biggest MLM in Europe. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I attempted to join two times, almost three. And this is at the age of like 18, 19. And uh, to be honest, it was one of those things that caught me by surprise. But what was fascinating about it is, was really about creating unlimited upside with recurring revenue, right? In way to create passive income and have your time back. And so while that wasn't my preferred venture, really was the spark and the inspiration to, to get into e-commerce. So I kind of dabbled here and there with eBay and some things on Amazon. I would import, you know, products perhaps from China and sometimes branded stuff, sometimes generic and tried to do this entrepreneur thing. And I gave up after, you know, not really having a, a really good strategy. But fortunately for me, I was I was lucky enough to land a pretty sweet job where a young company, you know, three years was doing just roughly 3 million bucks. And so I was able to join in and help them grow from three to 50 million. So that's where I learned all things e-commerce, end-to-end technology, supply chain, inventory management, you know, tech, digital marketing, e-commerce, the whole nine yards in private label. And that's where, you know, back in 2010, it's like, the wild, wild west of Amazon and private label really wasn't a thing. You know, we were, we were planning on, we were selling other people's brands. So we were always competing for the buy box, but that's where I learned what an enterprise level e-commerce organization looked like and inspired me to, to eventually leave, start my own brand. And within five, six years time, built that brand over $10 million in, in sales and, and sold it last March for roughly 10 million bucks. So it was a fairly, I don't know, short time to build, but it took me, you know, 15 years to, to acquire the knowledge and experience to really feel like I built something that had value. Yeah. I think many people, they think that they just jump into e-commerce or any kind of business venture. And then the first business will, you will sell it for eight or even nine figure quite soon. I think especially young guys, they think like that. Yeah, yeah. As you said, you had a job before you work for this uh, e-commerce company and you said you scaled it to 50 million. What was your role there? Were you a marketer or something else? Yeah. Well, at the time I was hired with 10 employees. And so I was the B2B sales guy. So I came from a sales environment, but I always had like this knack for problem solving. And so as this e-commerce business, they were on a shopping cart. Most of the revenue was organic. They had done zero in paid ads. They were doing zero affiliate marketing, comparison shopping and, and eBay and Amazon and multi-channel. They were doing zero of that, right? So at the time I was like, well, I'm hitting my sales goals, but I really see opportunity for the business to, to focus here. And that's where I started in May of 2010 for that company. And then by June, I was heading to the uh, internet retailer conference in Chicago, which is the largest e-commerce conference in the world. And, you know, I was like, dive right in. Let's, let's figure this thing out. And 
you know, I left that show hiring a PPC agency a software solution for creating data feeds that were for comparison shopping engines. And uh, it was a desktop tool even back then, not even a cloud-based software. So yeah, I feel like I date myself sometimes, but e-commerce moves so darn fast. Yeah, good times. What's the niche of the store that you sold later? So the, the brand we started and built from scratch was called Essential Values. Um, and the idea of that brand was pretty much any product category that was primed for disruption, right? So a lot of times our, our criteria would be national brands that would be dominating and there'd be no solid private label aftermarket comparable. And, you know, so going in with the best product, we developed uh, roughly over 100 products and about 250, 300 ASINs. So we, we carried multi-packs, but that would be like in home and kitchen, boarding goods, personal care sometimes. But primarily, if you really distill it down, it was in liquids. So solutions, liquid solutions that we could alter the formulation and create our own version of it. And so we partnered with, partnered with contract manufacturers to help us, you know, reformulate the, the appropriate mixture to be able to add value and, you know, hit the price points that we wanted. I think many business owners who sell a business, uh, they don't do what to do next. Was it the case <laughs> for you as well, or you already knew what to do? Daniel, I'm one of those guys in life where it seems like there's a lot of doors that always open and I'm, and I'm ready to run through the next one. And so we weren't really sure that we were going to sell our business. We, we listed a different business. It was primarily a Shopify business. And we had a record year coming out of COVID and only about 30% of the sales of that brand were on Amazon. And so we did hire a broker for that because to find the right buyer in this hockey niche that we were in was definitely harder than just talking to a bunch of the Amazon buyers, the aggregators that you would call them. And so we hired a broker because we needed a deep database to be able to find the right buyer. Because, you know, if 50% of your sales are e-commerce, Shopify, 20% were B2B, you know, selling to stores. And then, you know, 38%, whatever whatever the math is to be a full 100%, uh, it was roughly 35 on Amazon. So through that process, I realized, all right, we're going to sell this business, but I have this other business that's very, very interesting to other buyers. And that was our Amazon brand. And so we decided to sell both brands at that same time. So to answer your question, we weren't really looking to sell both brands and get out of e-commerce, but we were willing to look at, you know, what options we had to sell. And, and we started soliciting deals and the valuations were ridiculous. And we said, Hey, maybe it's time to leave. So we didn't have a lot of time to prepare for what was next. I will say this though, when we sold our businesses, both brands that we sold, we were able to retain a 12 month, you know, services management contract to be able to handle as a 3PL, continuing to do the order management, FBA replenishment, pick pack ship for Shopify and Walmart and other websites. So both brands we sold, we were able to retain that for 12 months while we were able to kind of figure out what was next. And so we decided to really pivot now and, and help other brands maximize the value. And for a long time, for the first three, four, five, six months, my wife is like, what are you doing? You need to go do something like too much sitting on the couch and hanging out. Like this is my office. I don't come around and hanging out your office. You should go do something. And so I had to kind of think through what it was. And, and when you don't have to work anymore, you're like, well, if I'm going to work, because I believe as an entrepreneur, there's there's a lot of things I can offer the world. And you know, I wanted to continue to do that, but I didn't know what it was quite yet. So mm -hmm. full circle, I had an opportunity to be interviewed by Business Insider, and they did a full-on article featuring me and the process that I ran to sell my business. It inspired me to write a book. So I spent you know those first several months writing a book and thinking about what would be the benefit of this book if I sold it, but also used it as a tool to help other sellers maximize the value of their Amazon and e-commerce brands, uh, whatever platform it's on to be able to grow it, optimize it, and then potentially help another, you know, help other sellers exit it. So it wasn't right away, but we, we pivoted into something that 
became really a sweet spot for us, which is maximizing the value of a brand. And that comes through, you know, doing the initial optimization, all the operational components around inventory planning, advertising, but then also setting it up for scale so we could go out and find a buyer and and eventually see that brand have a larger exit than they would have before. So our business model has pivoted, but it wasn't because we didn't know what we were doing. It was more like, let's give it time. Let's figure out what the market needs. And, you know, we wanted to stay in the space because when you build out a skill, it's not something you want to walk away from and just lose all of that knowledge that you've had for, for 15 years, right? So yeah, it was a tough transition, but I feel like there's a number of things I wrote in the book actually that helps with that. And you're right. Like what, what should I do? And it's really a process of understanding what you're great at, what you're really passionate about and what does the world or the market willing to pay you for that, right? There's a Japanese saying for this is called Ikigai. It's I-K-I-G-A-I. Yeah, I know that song. Yeah. Maybe yeah, the listeners, it's a, it's, they don't. So They yeah. don't, right? So so Google it, Ikigai, I-K-I-G-A-I. And it's, it's seriously important because whether it's the work you're doing right now or it's your future, if you're not doing what you're great at and absolutely love, life is tough. And, and if you start thinking about what you're building and what you're doing that makes money for you, when you love it and it's fun and you're good, it, it, it's not work. You know, it's the old saying, it's not working a day in your life when, when it's fun. So yeah, hopefully that answers the question. Yeah. What's the title of your book? It's called Aggregator Nag Navigator, the ultimate playbook to maximizing the sale of your Amazon brand. So, yeah. and again, you know, there's this massive, massive interest in Amazon brands right now, but many, many listeners probably also are Shopify or, you know, traditional shopping cart sellers. And maybe considering bringing their products onto Amazon, or if they're an Amazon brand, bringing their products onto Shopify. And, and for us, we were multi-channel. It was one of our things that, that really stood out for us is that, you know, even though 90% of our sales were Amazon, 90 plus percent, because we were on US, Canada, the UK, and all of Europe, uh, we even dabbled with Australia for a little bit too. But, you know, we were set up to handle orders from any channel. So the goal was to, to maximize wherever there was real estate for us to have our listings show up. And so we were on Shopify doing product listing ads. We were on Walmart leveraging, you know, Amazon's and Walmart's ability to, to bid on keywords and, and see traffic come in through Google as well without having to pay, you know, cost per click. So it, it was a strategy that made a lot of sense for us because there's a lot of products that had a lot of demand and having companies like Walmart start ranking for keywords that, you know, we normally couldn't, it was a good strategy for us and just really starting to cover page one of, of Google, right? So now you have an Amazon shopping platform where 50% of searches start, but then you have this other world of Google where people start to shop and obviously any player, Groupon, eBay, Walmart can, can show ads. So if we felt it was a good strategy and, you know, it certainly added incremental profit to the bottom line by doing that. We'll also add the, uh, the link of the book uh, to the description so everyone can find it. And you mentioned Shopify, Amazon, Walmart, you know, different uh, channels, different platforms. And probably you are the first one who could sell a business, the first one in my podcast who could sell a business or, or two businesses. And you were strong on Shopify and Amazon as well. There was a guy a few episodes ago with a keto brand, amazing guy, but he's not, he, his Shopify store is just to get accepted on Pinterest. You know, it's not a real uh, store. And on right, the flip right. side, I could see many businesses uh, who are strong on Shopify. They have a solid brand, but they just cannot tackle with Amazon. And is there any secret here or, or any mindset that would help e-commerce business owners? Yeah, 100%. I, I think the mindset first is where are customers that you're trying to find shopping? Where are they shopping? Where is the puck moving? Where are people at? And, and the simple fact of 50% of searches or more now start on Amazon for product searches, right? The conversion rates on Amazon are significantly higher because there's a very high intent to purchase, right? And so 
believe this or not, right? So if we look at a Shopify page, you know, an average e-commerce shopping uh, conversion rate might be two to 3%, right? Yeah. 3% would be decent. Yeah, yeah. 5% would be amazing. Yeah. If I have anything converting at 5% on Amazon, that's a crappy product. So here's the philosophy. If you have a great product, why would you not put that product in the place where most shoppers are looking, right? And with a high uh, intent to purchase, which means when they go to Amazon and they type in the keywords for that product category and you show up, they're looking to buy. They're not just browsing, right? And so a lot of Shopify sites, any site that's that's you can find through Google or any any search engine, that's what you're trying to do anyway. So it seems like a natural fit to bring your product onto a platform where customers are. A lot of folks generally are that haven't made that leap are either one, don't understand Amazon, you know, and it's a lot of work to, to really invest in that platform. But at the end of the day, it's one of the platforms where if you can build great product on that platform and get it to rank, it provides serious long-term recurring revenue, right? And, and yes, it is harder to drive sales and position long-term growth there. But I would even argue it's more profitable because I ran many a shopping carts. And, you know, at one point in time, I was managing a million dollars a month in ad spend for a brand I used to manage at that previous company. And it's a tough world and you need serious tools to, to really grow and scale in, in, in e-commerce in general. But to do it using Google ads and organic and SEO and affiliates without even considering Amazon, it's like half of your sales potential are pretty much cut in half, if not more. Mm. Right. So it seems yeah. like an easy fit. And it, especially for those that have a great product, it's a no brainer to, to really size up your product's competition on Amazon. And if you're already doing fulfillment, what's another order? What's another 10 orders? What's another hundred orders to start filling? And it's just opportunity cost to invest your time and effort to get the store to work. Once upon a time, you know, Amazon allowed you to show ads and drive you to your own site, but they, <laughs> they shut all that off five or seven years ago, had a comparison shopping data feed. So you would mm -hmm. plug a data feed, you would send your data feed to a certain FTP site or URL, and they would show your product ads, you know, the way they do today. But instead of driving traffic to Amazon listings, they would drive it to your Shopify or Magento mm -hmm. site or, you know, whatever yeah. platform you're on. Let me ask you a big question. So when should somebody sell their e-commerce business? A few minutes earlier, you mentioned you had a ridiculous multiplier. So I guess that was one incentive but you know when is the right moment to do that yeah there's not a perfect moment but i think you have to evaluate and be truthful about yourself and your business and i do i do spend some time in the book talking about this and it's really important because if you cannot answer why you want to sell many many buyers are skeptical and it's true i bought three we've done three transactions and we've looked at a whole lot more and oftentimes when a brand cannot tell me or business cannot tell me why they want to sell, it's a red flag. But when it comes down to it, you have to understand and take audit of your personal life, but also your business, right? And so one person has to consider, do I have the bandwidth to sell? You know, And before they even consider that, you have to work backwards and say, all right, hypothetically, my brand is doing this much in sales and it's doing this much in profit. If I were to sell it today, what is its value, right? So an easy way to do that would be tracking multiples online. And so there are a number of uh, resources out there. The FBA broker is a great site. They, they track e-com and Amazon multiples. You can see a number of different sites with listings, what values they're putting on Amazon businesses and e-com businesses. So start tracking that. And, and as of right now, you're seeing multiples be higher. And so you have to think about, is my brand in a position to continue to grow? Or is it hit a point that I can't continue to push it forward to grow? And many folks run into that situation. They either don't know what to do, they hit the ceiling, or they're out of capital, right? So it's either a strategy thing or it's a cash thing. If, if your business can continue to grow, the most valuable thing you can do is continue to fuel that with getting cash and access to capital to grow it. Because if you have any partners at all and you sell a business for a million dollars, you have a partner that you pay 50% of that.
you know, you end up leaving yourself with only $350,000 on a million dollar exit, right? So what are you going to do with that 350,000? Do you want to completely exit the space and do something completely different? Well, that's your motivation and that's your reason to sell. If $350,000 is very exciting to you, you know, most people that would be pretty good game changing money but it's not going to allow you to retire. Right. And so I'm in yeah. a situation now where it's weird. Like I've had to work for money. Right. And now I have to have my money work for me. And what that means is if I only had $350,000, I would have to start a business or find a way to invest that money to create enough income to be able to pay myself, you know, enough to live off of. Right. And so it's a mindset thinking about what am I building and what are my goals? If my goals are to build a great brand and retire, then you know you probably need to target a three or four million dollar valuation, right? And and then work backwards with your taxes and paying off your partner to say, all right, this is actually going to move the needle. So there's a lot of things to check. And then if you decide to sell based on the value because your business has been growing, first step is if I'm going to sell my business, when is the right time? Well, the valuations are up. My business is growing. I have two years of history. People want my brand and I'm stuck. I don't know how to grow it. That might be a good time to sell. Let's do it. Then you have to decide yourself to yourself if you want to list it with a broker or take on the opportunity cost and try to market it yourself. For us, you know, we built a brand that was worth $10 million. And so paying someone an 8% commission on $10 million is $800,000. So I knew our brand was growing. I knew we were getting a lot of interest. It drove the multipliers up. We said, let's see what's out there. And so we had six offers after talking to 23 people. And we were able to leverage our offers to, to increase the value of the deal to a point where we said, let's absolutely, it's time to sell. But mm -hmm. I chose to list the business ourselves because I knew I could run a process myself. I could find the buyers and I could negotiate a higher value. That's typically why you would hire a broker. So my book helps brands, whether you're on e-commerce in general, a shopping platform or Amazon, things that you can do to, to increase your value, but then also navigate, is it the right time to sell? So it's, it's supposed to be coming out at the end of the month. I just had a snafu with my editor, but there's a lot of good insights in there. It's only an hour read and anyone looking to sell their business, it's definitely a read worthwhile. I guess it's really hard to decide when you are stuck and when, you know, because business owners, they are really optimistic about growth myself as well. Like we will grow forever. We'll be, be huge, whatever. But reality is not like that many times. Can you say anything uh, that would help business owners to decide it when, when it's not realistic to grow anymore? Yeah, I think that the first question is, are you able to buy the inventory you need to fuel the product's growth. And if every single week or every two weeks you're in a cash flow crunch and you've done everything you can to find access to cash, that might be a time to exit because when you hit the ceiling and you're limiting yourself, you're actually hurting the brand, right? So for example, mm -hmm. if you launch a product and you're selling on Amazon, if you're running out of stock every single month, that's going to hurt your rank the ranking algorithm, right? It's It takes a hit every time you sell something, it raises in rank and then it drops down when you run out of stock because you can no longer sell it. Those are those are good signals right there. If if the brand is not giving you the personal benefit and joy that you think it should, right? That's another good reason. Like if you're in a situation where you're always overwhelmed and don't know how to fix it and you're tired of dealing with the problems and the customer service issues, you need to first consider how to get your time back, which, which is obviously from a, a scalability point of view, you need to increase the value of your time and effort and delegate the things that are low value activity, right? So for me, I'm always trying to consider how do I create $500 an hour value? If I'm not creating yeah. that kind of value, you know, on everything that I do, I need to outsource that. And so for me, I was able to be in a position where every single thing day to day was taken care of. I had the opportunity to be able to spend time to sell my brand. And, and many business owners 
if they're running the day-to-day working in their business as opposed to on their business, they're not going to be able to step back out and say, all right, what do I need to do here to create the value? And that's super important because it's it's easy to list a brand and sell it, but it's not easy to face the facts, decide to grow it and put the systems in place to scale it before you sell. So most folks, most brands see challenge and decide that that challenge cannot be overcome and therefore maybe I should sell. I spoke to a brand last week. They're interested in selling. They're a little smaller and mm-hmm. they had opportunities to grow. But the reason they were planning to sell is because they felt like with their one product, three ASINs, three SKUs, this year were the, was the first time they were seeing year-over-year growth decline about by 8%. And they didn't think there's any more upside. And as I took a look at the brand, I said, you guys, there's about four things we can do here, right? We can better position the brand. We can go after competing related products and try to create package discounts and bundles to create ride-along. So frequently bought together would be a way to do that. There's so many different things, Daniel. So I think ultimately it's really good to network and get connected with groups and, and listen and hear and listen to podcasts to, to discover ways to get yourself out of those points where you hit the ceiling, where you get stuck. Because a lot of times most brands are willing to sell because you either cash or they're physically exhausted and stuck yeah. and cannot break through the ceiling. What are those things that business owners can do to increase the valuation? Somebody has a solid brand, someone wants to get a better valuation, higher multiplier, what they can do? So we launched a brand that was 100% about new product development, right? So day one, our brand started. We didn't have any products. You know, Day two, we had one product. Day 90, we had two products, that type of thing, right? So we, our entire business was built on developing new products. Well, if your products don't have any reviews, if your products are just starting out, it's more expensive to get those products to start selling. And so my recommendation is for us, we had to really think about slowing down our new product development as we were moving into a season of selling the business. And the reason for that is because it was bringing our margins down. So for example, if we launched a product three years ago, that product was achieving roughly 20 to 25% net profit, right? But any product that we launched in six months was a loss. Any product that was launched within a year was barely breaking even. And this is the standards as of today, meaning five years ago, you can launch a product and be profitable right away. But we had to stop and say, we should stop launching new products because it's lowering our average margin. So what we started thinking about was every single thing that we do in our business that was an expense, reevaluate it and and have to ask yourself, is this a short-term strategy or a long-term? And if you're doing things with a long-term strategy that are losing you money, You need to stop doing those things because every dollar is worth around five. Where's my hand? There's my hand right here. If you spend $10,000, that potentially impacts $10,000 on wasted advertising. That potentially impacts your profit by $50,000, right? So you have to start putting in the mindset to say, am I growing my profit through rationalization of my SKUs and optimizing the advertising? Because every new product that's not ranking yet is a drag on my average margin. And so when you decide to sell it, someone's going to get the benefit of next year's growth, not you, unless you, unless you negotiate a long-term two, three, four, five-year earnout, right? And so I think most brands want to sell with as much cash up front and then at least one to two years of an earnout, which for us made sense because we were able to A, get the most we could today and B, with that strategy, see the benefits of the growth over time, over the next two years to be able to still get checks for the brands we sold through the form of an earnout. So I think that's a huge one. And, and the other couple of big ones, I would say the simple one is if you're doing at least 500,000 on your way to a million, you need to start thinking about moving your books from cash to accrual-based accounting. And the reason for that is if you're doing cash-based accounting, your profits are going to appear much lower than they actually are. 
So for example, if I spend $100,000 on inventory in China and I don't get it for 90 days, if I record that transaction in, in, in a cash-based accounting, I'm going to be expensing that as COGS. Well, that's not cost of goods sold yet because I haven't sold it. Normally, you would bring that inventory in and it doesn't hit your, your profit and loss statement until you sell the products. So accrual base is a huge transition you should be doing to work on your profitability that reflects accuracy of what the true profit is. And many brands fail to, to do that because then, then when they go to sell, they're taking a multiple off of a number that's incorrect as opposed to the true multiple, uh, the, the true profitability. So I've actually seen a number of brands like this and I'm like, we have to stop, we have to regroup, we have to get our books in order, right? So every brand should be doing that today. And there's a number of great resources. You can find people on Upwork. You can find services for Amazon or e-commerce sellers that do all this stuff for $900 to $1,000 a month. Might be spendy, but it might be worth it if you are planning to sell. And frankly, if you consider it a project, you could get it added back to your profit as an add back as opposed to a service that's required to run your business. So there's a number of things you can do when you do spend money that you can add back, like your salary, like your benefits, like your credit card rewards. These are all things that would increase your value that you can do now. As long as you know about the data, you can take action. So I guess this is the moment when a solid accountant is really appreciated, right? I heard about companies 100%. where the multiplier wasn't amazing and it's partly because of the accountants and how they manage the numbers. So Here's a different one for you. Let's say your brand did 100,000 in profit. And someone says, I'm going to give you an eight multiplier. And mm -hmm. someone says, eight multiplier, that's great. Let's do it. Well, if you look under the hood, you might actually have $200,000 in profit realistically because you didn't account for the addbacks correctly. And let's say the buyer knows that. You're actually only getting a four times multiple. Yeah. Four times multiple if you're doing 200,000 in profit as opposed to 100,000 in profit times eight. So some people like to jump on the multiple as the end all be all. But you need to understand each of those pieces, each of those data points. What's your profit? Is it realistic? What's your ad backs? What is your SDE, seller's discretionary earnings? And, and then you can really gauge whether that multiple is legit or not. And so I even recommend this in the book. Build out your last 12 months in profit, revenue, expenses, profit, ad backs, and, and do a monthly, month, month over month over month, trailing 12 months. And you're looking for trends, right? Is your profit going in the right direction? And you're also looking for the months, 12 months ago to start falling off. So Let's just say last January, my sales, my profits were low for whatever reason. At the end of this month, I get to take January off the books because I'm going to be running into March. And now my trailing 12 months are going to run from March to February. Yep. And so that January month potentially could fall off or whatever, whatever the last month was previously. Am I saying that right? March through February would still include January, but that's what we did. We were able to delay our closing to, to see that month over month, our profits were going up to increase our total dollars. Same multiple, but we added $100,000 more just by waiting a month to sell because our profit grew that much more year over year. And Yeah, yeah. and the, what, was the buyer aware of it or, or if they were, then what they thought about it? Yeah, so it was important for us when we started talking about the value that we would use the baseline seller's discretionary earnings and then a multiple. Right. And so if next month the earnings went up, the multiple would stay the same. And so it was very clear up front that we expected that our multiple was what we were locking in and the profit would be changing each yeah. month. We waited till close. And so not every brand does that. Actually, uh, every buyer, many buyers actually give you a fixed amount and they don't tell you how they arrive to it because they know next month 
if they're seeing that that growth is happening, some of them will push back. So they try to lock it in at a rate based on a window of months that you're looking at. So that's an important thing. And, and I would be upfront saying, hey, you know, this brand is going to continue to grow. The longer I wait to sell, the, the more valuable it is, right? And that's a reason for the buyer to say, we better get this deal done, right? Because each yeah. month, we're going to be writing a bigger check. It worked out for us that way because the, the subsequent two months and, and even actually it's grown every month since we've sold it. And it's, we're coming up now on uh, month 11. Yeah, that's a, that's a smart move, actually. Last question to you. So you mentioned brokers and uh, when is it worth to have them and use their knowledge or who shouldn't really work with brokers? I think brokers are, are amazing for, for many people because they do two things. Brokers are able to navigate. They have relationships, deep relationships most of the time with buyers, buyers that are actively looking for brands to acquire. So that's usually one benefit. The second benefit is navigating the deals. And so a, a broker is an expert at helping translate the deal terms to, to reality in a way that you can understand. Now I'll back up and say, we, we chose to do one method with a broker and the other method ourselves. And the reason we did one with a broker, it was because the business we had was so diverse and it was not going to fit into the mold of an aggregator. On the flip side, the other brand, I did not use a broker because I went, I could go out and find 50 buyers myself. I reached out to over 30 buyers myself that were, you type in Amazon FBA aggregator and you're going to find, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50, a hundred of them. And so the broker in that example didn't make sense for the Amazon business, but it did for the multi-channel e-commerce business because we didn't really know who the right buyer would be. Number two, I've been in business in a long time and I've done a number of transactions. And so my accounting knowledge and my business acumen was at a point where I felt confident that I could negotiate and navigate a transaction. I, I've bought three businesses before, but my goal with the book is helping every brand realize whether they're in a position to sell and market the brand themselves or if they should use a broker. And so one thing that I do, I'm not a broker, but I do help other brands find the value and get connected to buyers. And then I'm, I become the guy in your court without having to pay a broker. So it's a free service. But I also, in some cases, like to recommend very specific brokers because of the complexity of the brand. So I guess to, to answer your question, brokers are very valuable, but they can also be very expensive. And you just need to decide whether you have the skills and you can find the right buyer or not. But I definitely encourage you to reach out because happy to speak with anyone that's considering selling. There's a number of strategies and ways that we can help mostly for free. And in some cases, you know, there's ways that we can also help you grow. And that's one of the services that we offer. It's worthwhile. And, and that's the thing. Have you heard of this kind of model before? It's like you should have friends. If you don't have friends, then you should have a network, right? And if you don't have a network, you need someone in your corner that can help you navigate, right? This very big life-changing potential yeah, event rather than doing it alone. Network is your net worth. There is a That's phrase right. like, yeah. And uh, I, I fully agree. Be, be, just be part of masterminds, have good friends, be, you know, business-minded friends and not just in your country or state, but all over the world. And you can see many different things. Actually, for me, one thing was that uh, I started uh, investing in, into stocks last year. When everyone went crazy about crypto, I just completely went to stocks. And I learned a lot about the annual statements or, or reports, quarterly reports, those calls. And uh, it's very different than my agency or an e-commerce business because those are much bigger businesses. But still, uh, you can learn a lot about accounting, financials, business strategies. So it's really interesting. Absolutely right. And that's, that's ultimately what you're building, right? Like on a much smaller scale. Like, so to your point, yeah. if you're listening to publicly traded companies, you know, quarterly results, 
they're talking about things that are really relevant. There's lots of podcasts on this topic, right? And it comes down to what is your opportunity cost? For me, I don't think there was a better way to save $800,000 than spending two or three months selling my own business, right? Like selling it and saving it on the broker fee was a good ROI, but I own real estate as well. And so for me, like five or 10,000 bucks makes a lot of sense to pay a real estate broker because there can be a lot of work that has to happen. So it just comes down to your competency, your knowledge, and your time to be able to do it yourself versus hiring an expert, right? Isn't that everything in life? Thank you, Josh. And thanks for uh, coming here today. Thanks everyone who listened to us today or later listening to the podcast. And if you like this podcast, then uh, give us a review on Apple Podcast or Spotify. Be honest uh, with your rating. And uh, every week we come with a new episode about e-commerce and e-commerce marketing. Stay tuned, everyone.